0: biblical model is to sow and then reap. And there are hundreds of verses on sowing and reaping. And the idea is you're supposed to save, 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 and then get what you want at the end, right? Sow, 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 and then you reap what you sow. The debt model is the complete opposite. You get into debt and get what you want now, and then you're enslaved for a while in order to pay off that debt. This, uh, and any parent can tell you what's better for your child, getting them candy now and making them work it off later or, you know, have them save up and get that toy that they've always wanted. What's better for their character? It is completely corrupting to our character to have this sort of like debt-based mentality. And there's a reason, why like it says in Proverbs, you know, the debtor is sovereign to the lender. There's, there's some level of being sort of shackled uh by money and being sort of held hostage by our debt um that we call in the book uh, sort of like this monetary stockholm syndrome we end up worshiping and loving the thing that entraps us that holds us hostage uh and in a, in a sense that that that's what this whole entire system is built on <laughs>
1: Welcome everyone to the Kingdom REI podcast. This is your host, Ellis Hammond, founder of the Kingdom REI Mastermind. And today we have an exciting, a fun, incredibly, incredibly relevant episode. I uh, something, you know, this is a real estate show uh, and and really an investment show. But today we're switching it up and we're talking about Bitcoin because we have uh, the author of a new book called thank god for bitcoin the creation corruption and redemption of money mr jimmy song what's
0: up brother uh well obviously a lot thank you for that lovely introduction and i'm so excited to be here this would the these sort of podcasts are what i've been praying for so very excited to talk to you well,
1: what's cool man is like so here's what's interesting um you know, <laughs> so you're talking to a couple things here, and this is why mm-hmm. I find this kind of comical and I'm laughing a little bit. I find this interview a little humorous mm-hmm. for two reasons, Jimmy. The first reason is this. You're speaking to a real estate crowd and mm-hmm. three years ago, um, r- the, the word crypto or Bitcoin was laughable, literally laughable in the real estate community. Everyone said, mm-hmm. definitely not. Stay away from it. That's a mm-hmm. hoax. You know, you you cannot be considered a serious investor, a serious financial person if you're investing in Bitcoin. That's a complete hoax, right? So in some ways, man, you would have not been invited to a stage like this three (laughs) years ago because the real estate world was so far behind that Bitcoin was never going to be considered. Agreed or not agreed on that?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I would say so. Although, you know, one of my co-authors is uh, a real estate agent and he actually does quite a bit of uh selling and buying well in, uh, it's not because Mobile, you, they were, it's not because you were wrong it's because
1: <laughs> you know people were misinformed right so uh-huh. that, that's one the other thing is is that um there are probably some circles for thinking you probably can't even be a christian and believe in bitcoin right and <laughs> that there is also this idea of bitcoin of being you know deceitful or corrupt like listen to dave ramsey you know or any of these kind of more like Mm -hmm. bitcoin it almost could be translated as the devil in some some circles is like what people want us to think about bitcoin and so we have this Mm -hmm. topic um crypto and bitcoin that we're talking about down the kingdom rei show man that i think is absolutely going to blow and transform people's mind because we're not just talking about why bitcoin but we are really getting the heart of um, the world of money and finance and decentralized versus fiat money and how money actually works. And actually, I, even if Bitcoin is not the answer, the the idea of decentralized f- banking literally literally could change the world. I mean, I think it will change the way that we think about money and finance. And that's what you're going to be talking about today. And I'm really excited to have you here, man.
0: Yeah, and I, I look forward to uh, talking about all of the different ways in which people have dismissed Bitcoin, because I think as Christians, we really need to look at this because the current system is just so incredibly corrupt, and uh, we don't recognize it because it's more or less the water that we're swimming in.
1: Yeah. Jimmy, if you don't mind, let me pray for us as I typically sure. do, man, and we'll get in. So God, we thank you so much for this, this episode uh, thanks that you have you know, brought our, our past together, and I just know that this is going to be a conversation that's going to challenge many, um, but I pray that we would be able to listen with open hearts and open ears uh, to really hear and sense what you're doing in our world and how we as Christians might be at the forefront of shaping culture and not, uh, not in the shadows and especially not behind, but we could actually, in light of this conversation, be on the forefront of innovating technology and money and finance Uh, To really advance your kingdom throughout the world, Um, and so we pray this in Christ's name, Amen, Amen. So, Jimmy, let's get in, man. Let's hear about you. Um, I'm I'm so interested about the person of Jimmy before you know the author, but the the author behind the book, uh, kind of your your background, and and then I, I do want to get into this idea of money and into crypto.
0: Yeah, sure. So I am a programmer and have been since I was about nine years old. I got my first computer from my dad. Uh, who I dragged to Toys R Us to get me a computer. I didn't even know what those things were, but I convinced them to get me one. This was a Commodore 16, not the 64. The 64 had all the great games. The 16 <laughs> did not, but that was the model that was available at Toys R Us, so that's what I got. Uh, but ever since then, I've been a programmer. I programmed all through high school and um, you know, my first job out of college was at a startup coding and I've been doing... Uh, you know, coding for pretty much my entire adult life as a, as a career. Um, and so that is what I am by trade. I, I am a programmer. Um, I was a math major in college. So I have a, a, an affinity for technical things. And I have an affinity for um, looking at things from sort of first principles and trying to figure out what they do and how they work and so on. So that that that's me. Um, I'm also married and have six kids. I've been a Christian all my life, too. So it was a pleasant surprise to be able to get to write this book because I I didn't actually think that these two worlds would collide. I got into Bitcoin something like 10 years ago. Um, and back when I got in, it was, you know, it was just something that I was looking at and investigating. Um, and when I started contributing to projects back in 2013 and so on, um, you know, Christianity, uh, you know, I, am a Christian, I go to church, uh, you know, my wife goes to church, my family goes to church. Um, know, we we do all of that, but it was sort of like two different worlds. Um, But, you know, like in the past couple of years, uh, I've noticed, um, interestingly enough, a lot of Bitcoin people asking me about my faith, uh, which is not something that I expected. Um, And, uh, you know, there were a lot of different Christians that I met along the way, uh, being invited to conferences and you know, traveling all over the world and so on. And that's what ultimately led to the book uh, that we wrote. Um, Thank God for Bitcoin, the creation, corruption and redemption of money. It came out of essentially a Bible study that we did. We're like, hey, we're Bitcoiners. Let's see what Jesus has to say about money. Um, and ultimately we um, we read a couple of additional books. And after, after that, we decided, you know what? Like these other books aren't really making a very good case uh, for why we should be, off the fiat money standard let's write one that's based on bitcoin and uh and that's uh, that's what we ended up writing it uh you know we we did it all during covid you know we met every week over zoom just like this and uh you know it's uh, it's been a blessing and uh, we've gotten such a tremendous reception that we never really thought we could get uh, with this book, both in the Bitcoin world and in the Christian world. So are you writing it? I'm
1: curious, the, the title, Thank God for Bitcoin. You know, you could it could go religious or non-religious in terms of, you know, your audience. Who is your target audience? Is it written for a, a faith-based community or is it written more for a secular audience? Real estate professionals, I'm talking to you. Are you serious about growing and scaling your real estate business or portfolio this year? Do you lack a community of peers who share your ambitious vision and love for God? Listen, I know early on I felt like I had to choose between these two passions. Oftentimes, my communities were split between business and faith, and there really wasn't a place for both entrepreneurial success and and Kingdom Advancement was being celebrated. This is why we started the Kingdom REI Mastermind, the real estate mastermind for kingdom leaders who are investors, fund managers, syndicators, brokers, lenders, eager to honor God and transform their communities through business success. Look, we've helped more than two dozen real estate professionals just like yourself find resources, partners, or just even giving them permission to take their business to the next level while keeping the main focus on the kingdom of God. So uh, listen, if you're interested, this is truly an application-only community. Why? Because inside of our mastermind, relationships are everything. We believe this is the key to growth, and I want to invite you to see if you qualify by heading over to thekingdomrei.com and filling out an application. I personally screen all applications, and if I think we can help you, we'll set up a call to discuss further. Look, there's no reason you shouldn't head over to TheKingdomREI.com to learn more. Request your invitation. Start building relationships and doing deals with the best kingdom leaders in the industry. We have testimony after testimony to prove that you are literally one connection away from the faith, the family, and the business success that you desire. So don't wait any longer. Head to thekingdomrei.com.
0: Yeah, so I, I've, this is my third book. So the other two books I w- uh, that I've written, Programming Bitcoin, which is a book for programmers to learn the Bitcoin protocol, and uh, the little Bitcoin book, which is for non-programmers, um, doesn't necessarily have to be faith-based, but just something for people to learn about Bitcoin, period. Th- those were my first two books. This one is definitely targeted at a Christian audience, and that's wow. what we—that's exactly who we had in mind when we were writing this book. Is okay. How can we tell Christians why we think Bitcoin is great, and do it from a biblical perspective? Um, you know, there's a lot of verses that we we put in there that that um, you know talk about the various uh, biblical perspectives on money um, and how the current fiat monetary system really isn't a very good. Uh, you know, or moral money, uh, period. And that, that's something that we really talk about for the first ch- seven chapters. We don't mention the word Bitcoin until chapter eight. And it's really uh, about how corrupt the current system is and how Bitcoin is a way out of that system or a way to opt out of that system. Um, a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, listening to this podcast are probably familiar with gold. Uh, there are a lot of uh, Christians, for example, that... Uh, tend to be libertarian that are sort of like gold bugs that want to go back to the gold standard I'm here to tell you that um, gold had its day and there are fundamental flaws to gold uh, that uh, that make it very difficult to go back to a gold standard whereas with Bitcoin you have the you have a better scarcity than gold uh, more more decentralization than gold and better um, you know portability than gold and uh, this is, I think what money should be, and that's that's the case. I am here to make before you. So, Jamie,
1: by the way, I'm about to introduce you to a whole world of folks that you got to talk to, man. I know you're of the mm-hmm. Austri- Austrian um, uh, economics, economics, yeah, economics, yeah. So we're going to have a lot of fun, man, and I'm gonna, I can't wait to introduce some folks. But you, you keep talking about this fiat, you know, the fiat currency, the system that we're currently using in banking, and the the, the morality issue we have with that. So. Hmm. Let's just get into this episode, man. I'm so excited. We only have have so much time. So let's start there with going back to the simple question, man, it's just how does our current banking system work? How does money work? And why does that, do you think, um, have such a moral hazard to us as a society uh, today?
0: Yeah, so the current monetary system um, sort of very slowly evolved. um, And we talk about, uh, we talk all about it in chapter two of the book. Like, what's the history of money? How did we get to the current place that we're in? Um, but basically, uh, you know, money used to be based on like metal or something scarce. Uh, so salt used to be money. Uh, that's where we get the word salary, for example, sal. Um, you know, glass beads used to be money. Wampums used to be money. That's also where we get uh, words like shelling out or clams for money. It, it literally used to be seashells that used to be used as money um, and Uh, Because there was a dearth of of metals in the United States, a lot of European settlers actually ended up using wampums uh, uh, to trade as money. Uh, But as soon as somebody figures out how to make lots of it, uh, those things stop being money. This is why we don't use salt as money anymore, or glass beads, or wampums, or rye stones, or a lot of other things. Uh, We still use gold to some degree, uh, but that's because it is actually scarce. Um, And uh, gold has this very interesting property that it's very, very difficult to find. And the complete stock of gold um, in any given year is 50 times the amount that's produced. Um, So every year, there's only about 2% more gold added, uh, no matter how hard the uh, gold miners seem to try. And that's been the case for something like 5,000 years. So it has that very interesting scarcity property. And that's what makes kind of good money. Um, The current system that we have today um, started as a gold standard um, back in 1913 when the Federal Reserve was uh, created, every dollar was backed by gold. So you could at any time go to the bank and trade $20.67 for one ounce of gold up until 1933, uh, when Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, issued Executive Order 6102, which made it illegal for private citizens to hold gold Uh, you know, whole physical gold. Of course, that that wasn't necessarily to, uh, you know, just go and seize people's gold, they weren't going to go, you know, knock on people's doors and go raid them for gold or whatever. What actually ended up happening was that most people had their gold in (laughs) banks. And, uh, and, you know, FDR basically took all of the gold from the banks and put it, in the Federal Reserve uh, Bank in New York, I believe, and, uh, and made it illegal for people to actually convert it. And this was ostensibly done um, as a way to expand the monetary supply because in 1934, a year after, uh, gold was revalued to $35 an ounce, which was uh, back then their way of doing quantitative easing. Mm-hmm. Um, 1971 uh, was when Nixon finally cut ties to gold and essentially that, ushered in an era of complete fiat money so the dollar is no longer back can't be converted to gold any longer it is just based on the faith and full credit of the united states of america it's uh it, it's basically imposed on us um and the problem with fiat currency fiat in latin means let it be done it's uh it, it's just sort of like willed into existence without anything backing it Uh, is that it can always kind of expand at any time. And this has been the case. Um, So the M2 money supply uh, of the U.S. dollar, this is one measure of how many dollars in existence there are. 1959, there was $289 billion in the M2 money supply. Sounds like a lot, but Right now, there's about twenty trillion, <laughs> so it's uh, it's expanded a significant amount over the last sixty two years, and if you annualize that, that ends up being something like a seven percent monetary expansion every year. Um, so where is that money going? Well, it's largely going towards, uh, uh, it's, it's largely being used as debt and debt at every level. Um, so if, for example, the, the Congress uh, creates a budget for $4 trillion, but the revenues and taxes are only about $3 trillion, where does that extra trillion come from? Well, the treasury sells T-bills. These are treasur- known as treasuries and they do them at various lengths, but they have to sell a trillion dollars worth of T-bills. Now there's, a lot, there's some market buyers, there are foreign central banks that will buy them, uh, but oftentimes there's not enough buyers for a trillion dollars worth of, uh, of T-bills. So what ends up happening? Well, after all the, you, know, you sell to the market, um, the Federal Reserve is the lender of last resort. They will buy up whatever debt that the market does not buy. So where do, where do they get that money? Well, they create it into existence. It, it right. comes out in the form of debt. Um, and it's not just the federal government. It happens at the commercial level and the retail level. So commercial banks, when they you know, buy corporate bonds or whatever, they are doing essentially the same thing. They create a new ledger entry that says, "Okay, you owe us this much money," um, or, or we we have these um, uh, you know corporate bonds on our uh, on our balance sheet, and uh, as a as a result, uh, you know, but that money isn't coming from anywhere. It's there's nobody on the other side of the trade that's lending out at these insanely low interest rates, right? Like um, and. This is true also at the retail level. So, for example, when you get a mortgage, I'm sure all your listeners are very familiar with this process. When you get a mortgage, um, you know, you, uh, if you, uh, especially if you qualify for a conforming loan, what you get is something like a 30-year loan uh, for, say, $400,000 at 3%. Now, think about that. 3%, 30 years, there's some credit risk, uh, no matter how good a credit score you have, there's at least some credit risk. Um, is there anyone on the other side of trade? If, if you were on the other side of the trade, would you do this? Like, would yeah, you no lend out- the, yeah, No
1: one's doing 3% right.
0: No, you, you. there's no way. It would take, first of all, it's way too long of a term. 30 years is a very long time, and that, that's a lot of credit risk. There's also, you know, 3% is way too low. And, you know, the, the, where, so why, how does this come into existence? Well, the, the way it comes into existence is the bank prints the money on your behalf. And, the, and in fact, the federal government makes it insanely easy for them to do that because they insure it through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Essentially, every mortgage that's conforming, and this is why you have uh, very specific requirements, is if it if it meets that particular standard, the Fed uh, the federal government says well, will we'll take the loss if this doesn't uh, if this loan doesn't uh, take care of itself. So essentially, the bank has no risk uh, on a conforming loan, and this is why so many mortgage lenders exist. <laughs> they 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 print money on your behalf. There's zero opportunity costs because it's not. Somebody's money, uh, somebody 's money somebody that 's foregoing spending of money in order to lend you that money it 's money printed or created on the behalf of those that are getting these mortgages so at every level, there is monetary expansion happening, and it is, uh, it is happening at, at the detriment of everybody else that 's holding the dollar so Um, You know, every time there's sort of an expansion of credit, which is currently happening right now and has been for the last year and if you're wondering about the asset bubbles and uh, stocks real estate and all sorts of other things. It's because there's a lot more money coming in it's what I would call like the denominator growing, Um, you know the the number of dollars just continues to grow and grow and grow. and, you know, it, it went from $15.5 trillion to about $20 trillion in just like the last 14 months, which is like a 35% increase in the amount of dollars that exists.
1: Hey, real estate investors, those of you still in the fence about the Kingdom REI Mastermind, I want to let you know about an upcoming event we have in August of this year in Dallas, Texas. We are bringing together some of the biggest names, brightest minds of the multifamily industry for a three-day event This is the exclusive opportunity for our Kingdom REI Mastermind to really get together and learn from industry leaders who are also kingdom-minded and the chance to rub shoulders with the right partners who can help you grow and scale your real estate business. So if you're interested in the Kingdom REI Mastermind and attending an event like this, go to thekingdomrei.com to request your invitation. That's thekingdomrei.com
0: which is kind of crazy if you think about it. And no wonder things are getting more expensive. No wonder you know, uh, you know, the, the amount uh, of you know, uh, days listed before it gets sold are like, eight, uh, like in like single digits in a lot of right. places and so on. Um, th- this is happening because there's, uh, there's a lot more money around. Um, so what happens when that money expands? Well, when that money expands, what, what you're doing is you're diluting the money that everyone else has. So, um, you know, this isn't just, you know, people with, uh, you know, fat bank accounts, right, with a million dollars in their bank account while well, they're, they're getting, getting diluted. It's also people that are holding cash. It's also other foreign central banks. It's also people in other countries uh, because they are holding U.S. dollars because their own crappy currency is diluting even faster. Uh, So, for example, in Nigeria and Turkey right now, you know, um, their currencies are inflating fairly fast. I think it's like 20 or 30 percent inflation in both countries, something to that effect. They want dollars. If you go to the black market in either country, they will preferentially treat dollars than their own currency. And in fact, this is definitely happening in hyperinflating places like Zimbabwe like venezuela even in places like north korea i I have a friend that's a north korean defector she's told me that the number one currency in the black market in north korea is dollars that's what they want more than any other currency so every time money expands those are the people that we're stealing from those are the people that are getting diluted those are the people that are getting hurt and in a sense we uh like uh, Americans especially, because the dollar is sort of like the global reserve currency as uh, as the result of a quirk of uh, the end of World War II, um, because of that, Americans have this sort of exorbitant privilege of expanding the world's reserve currency. And as a result, we end up stealing from everybody um, every single time. And at least we have nominally the ability to elect people and put people in position to you know, do something about uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman, at least we nominally have some say in what's going on. But the person in North Korea, the person in Nigeria, the person in Venezuela, they have no say in our political system. And yet they are being stolen from. We really, uh, like biblically speaking, every time we create money out of thin air, right? Uh, Every time we get a loan where it wasn't from somebody's savings, this is what's happening. Where steal like biblically, you know, uh, you know, there there are all these verses about you know stealing from orphans and widows. And I I, I used to read that and say, look, well, who's stealing from orphans and widows? It's not like they have any money anyway. Like what? Who's doing that? Well, the answer is us. <laughs> we're, we're the ones stealing from them, right? Like every time you're using your credit card or you know, like creating money out of thin, thin air. The orphan in North Korea that's that's holding the one dollar that's their that that's their entire life savings. Well, that's getting diluted just a little bit. Um, and th- so this is what's been for, happening for, for a very long. For people
1: time. who like just to pause, for people who might be maybe lost in this conversation and just need to recap, is you're saying by participating in a system that dilutes a currency that the rest of the world is banking on, we're diluting it by pr- literally just printing. more of the dollar more of money right and we're just Mm -hmm. printing paper it's diluting someone else's what they're holding on is value that us by participating in that corrupt system you know essentially involves us in that and and it's really curious that's really fascinating thought there jimmy and i guess Mm. i'm curious just from a christian perspective of you know like how much responsibility do we actually own of that or do we just say hey this is the system in which like we live in this system for example we live in a capitalistic society we is, is it sinful to be cap a capitalist i don't think so but it's the system in which we live in right so how do you and i don't want to get too off on this because i really want to oh. get to the essence of why uh-huh. bitcoin could be an answer for this but i think i'd love to just here you're wrestling with this as a man of faith and living into this system because you have a mortgage, I've heard you say, yeah, right? So what do we actually do about that?
0: Yeah, uh, and this is something that I, this is the conclusion I came to in writing the book was, okay, if I'm taking out a mortgage, this is money printed from nothing. It's no one is foregoing usage of the money that I am borrowing in order for me to go and uh, go and buy this house. Therefore, it is immoral for me because I am essentially stealing from everybody else in the world. And I still have that mortgage. So my plan currently is to go pay that mortgage off fairly soon. And that way, it won't weigh on my conscience. But ultimately, it, it's not necessarily capitalism. I think capitalism is fine. It's this fiat uh, fiat monetary system that's backed by central banks um, that, that that's using the uh, the system of debt as a way to expand the money supply. And this is, uh, like I said, happening at every level. And everyone in this, uh, this society that is taking out loans that come from nothing is not just participating in it, but they, they are, in a sense, guilty of stealing from other people. Every time you, uh, the bank creates money on your behalf, whether you're using your credit card or you are taking out a mortgage or something else, it is money created out of nothing. Right, the denominator for the U.S. dollar expands just a little bit every single time that that happens. Now, when you pay it back, it shrinks back again. But usually, the uh, the total uh, amount of debt continues to expand, and has been for a very long time. So, um, the way I wrestle with it is, okay, is that theft of a very small amount wrong? And I've come to the conclusion: absolutely, it doesn't matter if you're stealing a tiny amount or a large amount. God still says it is stealing. <laughs> stealing is wrong. Uh, the the verse that I've been I, that that's been sort of like on my mind a lot as, as I wrote this book and uh, as I've wrestled with it with my co-authors is Ephesians four twenty eight. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Um, and obviously, the first part of that verse is don't steal, right? Stop stealing. If your job entails stealing, you need to go stop doing that because he was talking to thieves. He was pe- uh, talking to people that were essentially doing things that weren't productive. Instead, work with your hands and, you know, bib- uh, in, in biblical language, that's generally like, don't be a busybody, right? Like, don't don't be a uh, what I would call a rent seeker, somebody that is taxing some transaction and making money off of that but actually work with your hands and do something that is productive to society that Uh, that other people find valuable, um, that, uh, you know, to, to share with one who has need. And these are lots of people in the market that, that have needs, and you have, you are uniquely positioned as a child of God, with unique talents and skills to provide something to the market that they might want or need as a good or service. That to me is, The essence of what we should be doing as Christians in a capitalist society is provide with, uh, you know, provide a good, uh, you know, work with our hands and provide something that people in the market need um, instead of stealing, because there are many ways to make money uh, stealing and there are lots of people that are doing that right now, but that is forbidden, according to scripture so. I mean, it's kind of a hard thing for me to say because I know I'm I'm in the middle of that, right? Like I I have credit cards, I have a mortgage, right?
1: Because couldn't uh, you argue that even just using the dollar is is being involved? Like, how, where do you differentiate between taking a mortgage and just paying for your groceries, even if that's in cash, right? Like, yeah. and I know the answer. Well, is oh, I, I, that's I would, I would say that centralized. Like, yeah, sorry.
0: Uh, um, uh, finish your <laughs> No, go ahead. I
1: mean, that. that's where I'm wondering, like, where do you draw the line in this, right? And I yeah, know the yeah. answer is, hey, we need to get away from this Fiat thing <laughs> altogether. But even now though, like how, where do you draw the line in that?
0: Well, I draw the line where, you know, you stop stealing. So like, I think taking out a loan is stealing, uh, but paying for something is not stealing, right? Like if you go to the grocery store and paying for something in cash or some, or with your debit card or something like that, that is paying something with, you know, like you're not stealing from anybody and doing any of that. You're, 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 um, you're doing what biblically you would call like a fair exchange. You want that? That's ultimately what you want in every exchange. And I think this is what pleases God is when you do fair exchanges where you know you're not ripping somebody off or taking advantage of them. Um, I mean, this this is something that we recognize. Throughout the Bible, like a lot of the places where Jesus talks about money, it's really about treating people fairly. It's, it's about not taking advantage of people or advantage of the situation for your own benefit, uh, but you know, to make sure that you're providing as much value as you are getting. So when I'm paying for groceries, I'm providing value. I'm giving them yeah. cash, right? Um, and I, I am also getting, uh, getting you know, whatever groceries I am buying. And that that that's a fair exchange. And that I think pleases God. But, you know, stealing, uh, like creating money out of nothing um, right. and, you know, getting it. also the other thing that I, I forgot to mention is that is completely antithetical to Scripture. The biblical model is to sow and then reap. And there are hundreds of verses on sowing and reaping. And the idea is you're supposed to save, save, save and then get what you want at the end, right? So, 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 and then you reap what you sow. The debt model is the complete opposite. You get into debt and get what you want now, and then you're enslaved for a while in order to pay off that debt. This, uh, and any parent can tell you what's better for your child, getting them candy now and making them work it off later or, you know, have them save up and get that toy that they've always wanted. What's better for their character? It is completely corrupting to our character to have this sort of like debt-based mentality. And there's a reason, why like it says in Proverbs, you know, the debtor is sovereign to the lender. There's, there's some level of being sort of shackled uh, by money and being sort of held hostage by our debt, um, that we call in the book uh, sort of like this monetary Stockholm syndrome. We end up worshiping and loving the thing that entraps us, that holds us hostage, uh, and in a, in a sense that that that's what this whole entire system is built on.
1: Very interesting. You know, you're talking to a a a, a world of real estate investors, right? And so <laughs> debt is the baby that so many <laughs> hold on to, where You know many would argue listening to this and by the way i don't want to spend much time here because i want to talk about the bitcoin here but i I do think this is really interesting and i don't have this conversation much because debt has also is a tool though that we that we have been able to leverage as investors to actually do a lot of good to actually create Mm -hmm. capital gains for people and to build wealth and to have cash flow that we can use and distribute right so Mm -hmm. um in some ways i understand where debt could be the the slave holder Right. But in a lot of ways, it actually has been a lever for for creating financial freedom for many others as well. Yeah, I mean,
0: it certainly can be. And I I, I don't think I have any issue with debt that is uh, that somebody uh, is lending to you. Right. Like so if uh, if I am foregoing uh, usage of my dollars for somebody else's benefit, I, I would probably charge more interest than the typical interest that you can get, which is essentially printed out of nothing. Um, but I, I don't have any issue with that, right? Like if, uh, if, it's, uh, if somebody is foregoing usage of that and are, are, is willing to take a risk on me and I, I can get that loan or the other way around, if I'm lending to somebody else and I am willing to forego usage of that money for somebody else, I think that kind of debt can be okay. And there's certainly a lot a lot biblically that um, that does allow for that. There's there's a lot of contingencies and things like that. Um, that that I think is OK. It's the money being printed, uh, you know, into existence. Right. Through through that, that I have a serious problem with. Right. And that, that's that's where I think Makes it's so. So, you
1: know, the 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 if you know, if we stop the conversation here, Jimmy, <laughs> it would be like you know, watching the latest fish, um, I don't know if you saw the Netflix show Sea Spiracy, which is a fascinating documentary, but it comes to the conclusion, well, in order to change this, you know, global warming, we just all need to stop eating fish, <laughs> like you stop eating fish, I stop eating fish. And like, the reality is, the small ripple effect of me not eating fish, it would it would need to take a massive global agreement for everyone to stop mm-hmm. eating fish for that to really have a dent in a massive, Fish market. It's kind of the argument you're. I feel like you could translate mm-hmm. to, I'm going to stop using my credit card, and that's going to be the impact right mm-hmm. on this on this current monetary policy. What could have a bigger ripple effect is what you're arguing for. Is so thank God for Bitcoin. Like mm-hmm. this could actually be the disruptor that could change, um, could change the way you know the, our our current monetary system works. So explain to us. And I think most people need a a quick overview of what does decentralized mean and why Bitcoin is the answer to that.
0: Yeah, so let's start with decentralized money versus centralized money because this is uh, sort of like a point of confusion. By the way, was that
1: a good analogy of what I'm talking about here? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and I want to hit
0: that exactly uh, because you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, so let, let's start with um, with decentralized versus centralized money. Traditionally, um, something like gold is decentralized money, as was salt and you know glass beads and uh, and wampums and so on, because you know you can essentially gather them from nature, right? And it takes work to go do it. Um, there's no central controller that creates the currency. I could go right now into my backyard and try to dig for gold, and if I were to be fortunate as to find some gold, I can go and sell it on the market and no one can really stop me, right? Like it's decentralized. No, there, I don't need any permission from anybody to go, to go do that. Now contrast that with the US dollar. If I went and um, you know drew a realistic $100 bill and tried to spend it out on the market, I would get arrested by the Secret Service because only the Treasury is allowed to issue $100 bills and only the Fed is allowed to create more dollars, uh, you know, uh, u- using the mechanisms that they have. So. The centralization essentially means that there, you need permission from somebody to create more of it. Um, Whereas decentralized means that you don't need any permission from anyone. Um, And the thing that trips people up about Bitcoin is that it's a decentralized digital currency uh, or what we we would call digital gold. Um, It has many of the properties of gold in that, Anyone can go mine it. Anyone can go check the ledger. It's completely fully auditable, um, which is very unlike the Fed. You can't audit the Fed, right? They, they've tried many times and uh, usually there's some resistance and no one, no one really knows like how much money that they've created or anything. So, um but with Bitcoin, you uh, you have a, a log of every single transaction that's ever happened on the Bitcoin network. This is what we call the blockchain. It's literally a ledger of every single transaction that has ever occurred in Bitcoin. That anyone can see. That anyone can see. That you can right. go download right now and run your own software and audit the entire thing and say, okay, like... Were there any rules violated during, uh, during the last 12 years of Bitcoin's existence? And this is not a small file. It's like 300 gigabytes of, uh, of data. But, you, um, but you know, if you're running a node, as, as we call it in our space, um, you check the entire blockchain and make sure that it conforms to the rules that were there from the beginning, which is that there can never be more than 21 million, that there's a certain emission rate um, that, you know, transactions aren't creating money except for very special transactions that create, uh, that bring money into, uh, bring Bitcoins into existence. Again, that is limited to 21 million ever. Um, but you can audit the entire thing. Um, and that gives it uh, uh, like an autonomy that we've never really had before uh, with currency. We, we, I can go audit the entire transaction log of every bitcoin transaction that's ever existed i and if i wanted to i could try to mine and uh much like digging in my backyard i can use my cell phone or computer to try to mine but i am not likely to find it and in fact the people that are very good at uh uh at what's called bitcoin mining uh, they are very specialized and they uh you know, uh, know how to do that much like gold miners know how to mine gold very well and so on. So um, because of that, it's decentralized and that's what Bitcoin is. It's decentralized, digital and scarce. So it's, uh, it's basically digital gold except with better properties and you can send to anyone in the, in the world in about 10 minutes uh, which it makes it a lot more portable. Um, so it doesn't have the physical, uh, the weakness of gold, which is its physicality. The fact that it has a, a, a location and, you know, a place means that you have to transport it a lot and that can be quite expensive. So, um, you yeah, that that's essentially what Bitcoin is.
1: Very interesting. So I hope you understand that, that like, that's why it's the the idea of it being decentralized is because anyone can essentially go out and 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 mine it. And it's mm-hmm. there's a ledger for it. you can go track it. Here's a question about decentralization, Jimmy, that, I've, that this is very recent, you know, Elon Musk has mm-hmm. tweeted about this. Um, in terms of the argument that Bitcoin is decentralized, but it's mined by, you know, let's call it 80 percent is mined by 20 percent of the miners. Does that how does that how do you still argue that it's a, this, uh, still can be a decentralized currency if it's controlled by, you know, a very small few miners?
0: well we we don't actually know that many uh big mining companies and as far as i know there's at least like 20 different mining companies or maybe um, or maybe wallets may, 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 You you know uh, see like you see what i'm saying does
1: that does that there's sway a, there's the... hundreds
0: of wallets and there's uh, there's dozens of miners there's lots of different companies that do things um but essentially, any one of them can go down. Any five of them could go down, and the Bitcoin network would still be running. Mm-hmm. Um, and that—that's kind of what we mean by decentralized. If the Fed stopped working tomorrow, um, we would have absolute chaos in the monetary system. If you—if you couldn't settle dollar, uh, you know, differences with it, uh, you know, among banks or something like that, the entire financial system would, you know, like right. be chaotic. Uh, there, there's no single point of failure or anything like that. So that, that's what we mean when we say decentralized. Let, let
1: me ask you this. Why do you see, and I would probably, I, I agree with you, Eric, I, I think I know your answer, but I want to hear your thought is, why do you see it as inevitable that Bitcoin will become the currency of the future, that decentralized banking is the solution or the answer for a lot of the problems that we're talking about? Why, why do you see it as an inevitable, and how long is inevitable?
0: Yeah. Well, so I want to go back to something that you said before, the analogy that you made with, uh, you know, if I if, if I stop eating fish, then, you know, no, nothing's going to really change. Um, the book that we wrote, Thank God for Bitcoin, is not the first of its sort of genre, talking about the current monetary system and the morality of it. In fact, there were two other books that we studied as, uh, as authors to sort of, uh, you know, before we decided to write this book, there, there's a book called The Ethics of Money Production by Guido von Halsman. And there's another book called Honest Money by Gary North. Uh, Guido von Halsman, if I'm not mistaken, is Catholic, and he essentially argued against the current monetary system from a lot of Catholic teaching, um, including a lot of biblical teaching. Um, Gary North used to be a... Um, an advisor to Ron Paul. He's also written a lot of homeschooling cu- curriculum. Um, he's a Christian and he's re- he calls himself a Christian economist and he's written a lot on Austrian economics. And both books essentially made the uh, same arguments that we did in the first seven chapters of our book, which is the current monetary system is bad and it has some serious problems. It has moral consequences, including in the church, in politics, in our personal lives. It has all sorts of bad incentives. Their books, though, end in a different way. Their books say essentially kind of like what you said uh, about like everyone needs to stop eating fish. Their, their, the conclusions of both books was, OK, so we need to go back on a gold standard. So yeah. we need to get a political action committee together and uh, convert enough people to be gold bugs so we can uh, you know, make sure that the dollar is backed by gold again. And that was their argument, which if you read it and you're like, okay, this is never going to happen, you end up just sort of like coming out of those books, kind of depressed because like, okay, there's, there's nothing we can do about it then. Of course, both books were written before Bitcoin. What we tried to do with our book with the last two chapters was to make that argument that, okay, you can opt out individually and you don't need the current monetary system. And that that that's the whole point of Bitcoin is that instead of participating in this, uh, in the system of theft and corruption and high time preference, debt based, um, you know, like very bad for civilization kind of, um, you know, incentives that, that uh, come from fiat money. Um, we argue that, you know, you can opt out and just go to Bitcoin and each individual can do it. Uh, And, you know, we'll we'll at some point have more uh, momentum. And I mean, momentum has been building for the last 10 years, really. Um, But ultimately, that means that we can all get into uh, Bitcoin on our own schedule. We don't have to get this like coalition together or have a political action committee and like make it a presidential election issue and, uh, you know, pass a congressional amendment or something like that. Uh, like or constitutional amendment or anything, we we can just do it individually. Uh, each person can opt out and say, you know what, I'm I'm not going to be in this system anymore. I am going to save in Bitcoin, and I am going to you know uh, go with the biblical model of sowing and reaping, and you know, uh, and Bitcoin ends up being very good for that, right? Like uh, being being a savings technology uh, rather than you know saving in dollars or participating in the system of continuous uh insertion of debt um and monetary debasement um instead you can just go into bitcoin and you know like not worry about it uh you know, and this is what a lot of people have chosen to do um, right. and there, there's a lot of people in the bitcoin world that <laughs> you, are more or less all in but you know
1: jimmy like i think about you know when israel had to travel around in the desert for 40 mm-hmm. years for everyone to die first before the next generation could go into the promised land like um like, don't you feel like, though, there's such a, a a lag of like, we you almost need the current generation in the old mindset to literally die before something like this of mass effect. Like, you know, I mean, I just think about like my parents or especially my grandparents will never like really probably take the time and say, I'm all like, this is not right where I think my generation is beginning to, but even that might be too soon. Like, It all you almost need the 40 years in the desert. (laughs) And will it take that long, right to really from a mass scale people to really begin to opt in like this?
0: Yeah. I mean, to some degree, yes. Uh, and you know, you like, I, I doubt Warren Buffett's ever going to change his mind on Bitcoin, right? Like he's called out rat poison rat poison squared and all sorts of other things. He's, uh, but then again, like when's the last time he did anything interesting, like his, his big bets were in the seventies and, you know, he, he, uh, he made a lot of money then, but he's not necessarily the, you know, uh, a prescient investor anymore. He's, he's, he's more been um, taking advantage of a lot of government subsidies and so on. But that said, like um, uh, the nice thing about Bitcoin is that the economic incentives are to get into Bitcoin. Um, uh, as more people adopt it, the price of Bitcoin because of its absolute scarcity of 21 million tends to go up, um, you know, fixed supply, increasing demand. The only release valve for that is an increase in price. And that's what's happened over the last 10 years. Um, and at some point, um, you know, as, you know, the dollar continues, uh, you know, expanding sort of at an unsustainable level, um, you will have some sort of event um, where, you know, people start losing confidence. Um, I've been studying the Weimar Republic uh, recently, especially sort of like what happened with the monetary system there, where it's sort of hyperinflated over, um, you know, a period of like eight years. Um, you know, over like the first four years, it, you know, prices only doubled. Uh, by the end, it was doubling like every week, right? Like it, 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 it it's right. very gradual and then very sudden. Yeah. Um, I suspect that will happen with the dollar, and mm-hmm. it had uh, like the average lifespan of any fiat currency is something like twenty-three years. So you know uh the u.s dollar as a fiat currency started in 1971 it's about 50 years old so it's a little bit so longer we've than already. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah so it's you know at some point you know it's going to collapse um it's not going to last forever so maybe the spur the
1: the 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 acceleration of the distrust of the dollar will actually increase the trust of something like crypto more so than than just trust being built in crypto. That makes a ton of sense. Let me, and I know our time is running short here, Jimmy, golly, man, I just can't wait to learn more from you. And um, I, I want to do, it. we do a live webinar series, we might have to have you back on too. And um, well, let me ask you this, though, one of the last questions here, and I wrote this down, you know, why Bitcoin versus crypto? And, and, and mm-hmm. what is your case for, you know, there's a ton of different cryptos mm-hmm. that are trying to become you know the currency of the future and, and why so bullish on bitcoin when there are very viable other coins and recently and you know as of last week when we're recording this episode you know a famous tweet by Elon talking about just how um, bad it is for the environment to 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 mine bitcoin like what if bitcoin just goes like becomes one of those that goes away like talk to us how you think about that
0: yeah, so the big difference between Bitcoin and all coins is that Bitcoin is decentralized, like I, I, I explained before, um, and all coins are centralized. They usually have a creator. Um, so Ethereum, for example, was created by Vitalik Buterin back in two thousand fourteen. XRP was uh, Ripple, or XRP was created by the Ripple Corporation. Um, you know, uh, I, I, there are so many others, but they—they're all—they all have a creator, a central fan- foundation uh, developer team that decides what the monetary policy on that coin is going to be, uh, whether or not they're going to bail out certain people and what they're, I mean, some of them don't even have developers, but, you know, like basically they they have somebody in control. And in that sense, it's not that different than fiat money. It's somebody that decides everything. So Ethereum's monetary policy has changed at least two dozen times since its inception, right? Mm. So that, that tells you, uh, okay, they're not very different than the Fed, right? Like, like lowering interest rates or increasing interest rates based on what market demand might be. Um, they're, they're talking about moving to proof of stake, uh, largely probably due to uh, the energy fund that's going around and so on. Um, but that, that's the big difference is that Bitcoin is actually decentralized all of these other things are centralized. And you know, don't pay attention to the people that are saying, oh, it's a spectrum or whatever. You either have possession of your coins and no one can take it away from you. In other words, you're self-sovereign over your coins or you are not. If you are not then it is centralized. Somebody else can take it away. And this is the problem with the US dollar. If you have money in the current banking system and the government labels you a domestic terrorist, they will seize your bank account and you will not have access to it. Um, That's not a very good thing. Uh, And they can do that with uh, all of these other coins. um, And they've done that before. Um, Ethereum had something called the Dow hack, uh, which really wasn't a hack. It was a smart contract flaw that some smart contract lawyer figured out a loophole to Um, They decided that uh, to, you know, basically bail out everybody that put money into that contract. So, uh, you know, Bitcoin is decentralized and it almost had an immaculate birth and it took the leaving of the creator, um, Satoshi Nakamoto, in 2010 to achieve that. Um, We really don't know how to make a coin decentralized. Like, it's, it's extremely difficult. We know that Bitcoin has it. Every other coin does not. So it's not something that you can just sort of conjure up out of thin air. Um, so I would say that that's a major reason. The other reason for Bitcoin is that it has credible long-term scarcity. And that is the most important thing for money. Um, there's, the reason why we don't use salt anymore is because somebody figured out how to mine lots of salt uh, in large quantities. Um, the, the Bitcoin has a credible long-term scarcity. It's had... 12 years, and the monetary policy has not changed. It's still 21 million. Um, Whereas with a lot of other stuff, it changes constantly. Now, the other question you asked was about the energy concerns, and this is based on really bad journalism and really bad understanding of how power generation and power engineering works. Um, The way power works is that It is created and delivered with the expectation of availability. Um, And that's something that's a little bit of a mouthful, but basically think about it. If you turned on your lights at home and it didn't work, you would think, okay, this is a very bad user experience, right? They need to continuously supply power, and it has to be there whether or not you're using it right? Uh, And this, this is especially true for like sort of life support equipment and hospitals and so on. You need to make sure that it's available. And when it's not available, like we had here in Texas a few months ago, it's kind of a disaster. Um, So power and energy is essentially created for, uh, for sort of peak demand. Uh, So whenever people want, uh, what, whatever the highest amount of energy that people are going to want, they make sure that they can supply peak demand at all times because you don't know when peak demand might be. You might have a heat wave next week. You might have a cold spell next week. You know, people might be using their air conditioners or their heaters. We don't know. Whatever it is, the power company makes, makes needs to make sure that they, uh, they produce enough so that you have you can fulfill peak demand. So what does that mean? That means that a large part of energy is wasted. So I think Michael Saylor is the one that uh, pointed this out. Something like 160,000 terawatt hours of energy is produced per year in the world. About 50,000 terawatt hours or something like 30% of that is wasted. <laughs> it, 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 and it's because... Of all of the uh, all of the energy that needs to be available, just in case people want to use it, but if they don't use it, then it gets wasted. Now, what Bitcoin is doing is it is taking a lot of that energy that would be wasted and is using it for something useful, which is securing the Bitcoin blockchain. That is how you're you should be seeing it. Instead, what journalists do is say, "Well." They're using as much energy as the city of Copenhagen or something like that, which is a ridiculous uh, analogy because a hydroelectric dam in China that is, uh, you know, uh, providing energy for miners there cannot be used in Copenhagen. Energy is not portable like that. In fact, the only sources of energy that are portable are oil and gas and coal. And those, uh, you know, people tend to uh, not like because they are not environmentally friendly. Um, you can't, you can't just make analogies like that. It, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, by the way, the amount of energy that Bitcoin, the entire Bitcoin network uses in a year is 150 terawatt hours per year. It's le- it's like, like one or two basis points uh, of energy of the entire world.
1: Uh, Jimmy, this has been. Oh, this, this is a masterclass so far, man. I, I love this conversation. I hate this has to end. Um, I want to give you time to make sure people know know where to find you, your book. And I want to ask you one last question before we get out of here. But please tell us where to go, man, to find this book. God, you know the, the the book you just came out with.
0: Yeah, thank God for Bitcoin. It is available on Amazon. It's also available on Audible um you know there's a hardcover soft cover it's available on kindle and you can yeah you can go get it right now um i think it's available in many different countries uh we are working on a few translations because we got some requests to translate it into dutch and wow. Finnish for some reason i i, I don't know uh we'll, we'll see where that goes but uh but yeah you it, it's available and uh Yeah, it's a very quick read. Uh, I think you can read it in one sitting if you wanted to. It's, uh, you know, and we, because we had eight authors, we had to be pretty economical with our words. And we were pretty ruthless with each other in terms of, like, extraneous sentences and so on. Really cool. Hopefully, you can get something out of it. uh,
1: Thank God for Bitcoin. You can find it anywhere on the internet, it sounds like. Last question Then here, Jimmy, is... Just man, you want to make any predict? I mean, today I'm looking at Bitcoin. It's around thirty-eight thousand dollars. It's a huge drop from its peak uh, this year. I'm guessing you're bullish. I mean, long term, <laughs> where you know, as an investor, are you holding? Like, are you continuing to buy Bitcoin now? Just from an investor standpoint, as a group of investors, tell us, tell us, tell us your mindset and what you're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm basically on a Bitcoin standard, personally. Um, whenever I make money in dollars, I go buy Bitcoin with it. Whenever I need to pay bills in dollars, I convert my Bitcoin to dollars and, and do that. Um, and, uh, and you know, that, that that's something that I choose to do because I believe in it. Um, the long-term, the thing that I tell people that are thinking about investing in Bitcoin is don't bother going and buying it if you're going to sell in six months when it doubles yeah. or halves because that always happens um if you're going to hold for five years you'll be fine um no one has held for five years and has lost money if you if you bought in 2017 that was like the absolute peak of the last bull market you could have bought at 19,000, which was the absolute tippy top you would have still doubled your money or you could have gotten in much earlier that year when it was a thousand dollars in which you case you would have made 38x your money and that's from four years ago uh you know i mean you're 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 going to do fine if you're willing to um, hold for a long time. Stun- yeah, What's you
1: a- can't lose money if you don't if you don't don't ever sell, right, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I,
0: uh, the the idea is that eventually we will be uh, we will have an ecosystem, uh, Bitcoin payments, and so on. Um, I I like to use my dollars first whenever I I get a chance, just sure. because. I'd rather hold my Bitcoin um, and, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoiners that have regrets over spending their Bitcoin yeah. like back when it was a hundred bucks or something like yeah. that. So, yeah.
1: Jimmy, thank you, brother. Guys, if you're listening to the show, you've enjoyed it like I do, please screenshot, go share this on social media, let friends know, hey, wow, this has changed my mind. This has helped me or man, listen, I totally disagree, but go share that too because we really <laughs> want to hear that feedback. And make sure you go look for Jimmy and his book. Thank God for Bitcoin. Jimmy, thanks again, brother, for your time, and Everyone will see you next week. Thanks for joining the Kingdom REI podcast.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, just because the show's over doesn't mean the journey is. Listen, if you are a faith-driven real estate professional or investor, then you'll want to go to the com to learn about our mastermind. If you're interested in investing alongside me, in alternative investments like multifamily apartment complexes, then head to ellishammon.com to learn more about that. Cheers.